it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omni-channel digital journey of brands and retailers. I'm, of course, your co-host, Shri, and do check out my daughter and singer-songwriter, Ria Raj's music at www.riaraj.com. That's R-H-E-A-R-A-J.com. Today, I'm joined by my co-host and managing director of retail cities in North America and a Thursday Omnicomment guest as well. And fast forward podcast host, Mr. Brian Gildenberg, the other CPG guy. Actually, nowadays after his third appearance on CNBC, I think it's fair to call him a newscaster now, perhaps. Brian, are you the newscaster or are you the CPG guy? Solve the mystery for us. How are you, man? 
I'm pretty sure I'm still, I, since I do three things a week on the CPG guys and three things ever on CNBC, I still think I'm a CPG guy, but at least I got the name of the podcast right this time when they introduced me. So that, uh, that felt like a big moment for the brand when they didn't like completely stumble over it. So uh, that was good. They did get it right. But before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience to visit www.cpgguys.com in a web browser where you can find links to our podcast on all the major and minor podcast platforms that exist. And if you're not already doing so, follow us on LinkedIn, where we publish new comments every single day of the week. That's seven days a week. There's content every single day. There's podcasts. There's multiple podcast networks. And that's why we're also proud to be sponsors of Next Stop, formerly known as Network of Executive Women, whose mission is to advance all women in business and to promote gender equality in the workplace. As supporter-level sponsors of Next Stop, we are afforded 50 membership, which Brian, Peter, and I are looking to allocate to female entrepreneurs of women working at companies that are not currently partnering with Next Stop. If you'd like to avail yourself of a membership that we will sponsor for you at Next Up, email us at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. The digital liner notes of this episode will, of course, contain hyperlinks to our site, our LinkedIn page, our landing page on Next Up site as well. Brian, should we get to the main event? You ready, man? Well, yeah, we're going to be at Next Up's event uh, towards the end of September as well. So just uh... That's correct. Can't wait for the emerging actual uh, event in September. We'll be releasing more details of what that is, who comes, and what the CPG guys will be doing at that event as well in the upcoming weeks and months. I hope to see you there. Just a little teaser there. That's what we call a teaser in the news business. There we go. Oh, now he's starting to go down the news path. Well done, Brian. Three episodes and here you go. Ha! Today's CPG landscape, of course, has accelerated a decade in the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic. And as far as omnichannel retail is concerned, whole maturity with a digital shopper, habits, how to build a path to purchase is emerging in the CPG industry. Along with this, technology advances in health have been significant in the last three years. Natural treatments, pre-surgery, post-surgery, remedial, long-term care, short-term needs all have been significant advances. One such platform that I had helped incubate back in 2020 summer was called Upgrade a natural wellness product for pain relief. In the last two years, it merged with Men Nutrition to form a true care provider for the consumer with a tagline that says, Men is the scientifically proven way to heal and enhance your body faster. In this episode, we're bringing you the story of the CIO, Isaiah Syed, and the scale he has been able to develop in the past three years. And of course, all those terms also remind me of my five wonderful years at Johnson & Johnson. Isaiah, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well, Sri. Thank you for having me, Brian. Thank you for having me. And congrats on building an incredible platform yourselves. I know how difficult it is to get any initiative off the ground. So congratulations. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thank you for joining us today. I'm incredibly excited to speak with you about the space of healthcare that I've been watching and sometimes incubating, like I mentioned. Yet I've been amazed at the ascent of natural healing and wellness in the last three years. And Isaiah, before we get to the detailed questions that Brian and I have prepared for you today, it'll be great if you give us a brief overview of men nutrition what your role is there. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, my background is so I'm a CEO and co-founder along with uh, a few other co-founders and spent my uh, career in, in strategy innovation spaces. Um, MEND is a unique animal out there in the world of healthcare. It's saying that we're operating at the intersection of two mega trends, one mega trend being this sort of notion of food as medicine. We all know kind of colloquially that food can either uh, promote health or it can actually interfere with and degrade health. So the notion of food and medicine is how can we put some science to that? How do we bring a level of scientific rigor that exists in other domains like pharmaceuticals and really develop evidence-based solutions that can be utilized to actually fight and combat disease and promote healthfulness? So that's one mega trend. The other is the notion that uh, despite our best efforts in society, we haven't moved the needle a whole lot on health and wellness. Um, we'll get into the numbers a little later in the, in the conversation. But we need more on the side of behavioral support. So how do we use all the technologies in the world of digital to really promote and develop long-standing, long-lasting behaviors that can have an impact? And MEN has brought those two into a single platform that we believe both an acute environment as well as a long-care preventative setting will have a profound impact. Awesome. I love the use of the word, you know, what it eludes me to say is something I often read these days, food is medicine. And, um, you know, of course, my own relationship with food, I think, airs on the side of maybe I'm not treating it as medicine, but hopefully, as I, you'll solve the mystery for me and teach me how to treat it as medicine, especially as a foodie that came from New York City. But thank you for that summary in the first place. 
What, what condition does pizza cure exactly? I'm curious. Are we, we going to cover that in the podcast today? His eye is going to decompose that for us as we uh, talk to him today. But in the digital line, and or, this or episode, I'm going to eat the pizza and just decompose in front of you, whichever you want. So there we go. We will place links to, of course, his eyes, LinkedIn profiles, men's LinkedIn page, and of course, the company website. That way, people listening can easily connect back with you as I straight from their smartphones. And now we will jump over into the podcast. So, Isaiah, you ready, man? I'm ready. I've known you quite a bit now, and uh, your career, of course, passes through Deloitte, somebody I've worked with over my 20-plus years in the CPG industry, Citibank, startups, and now Men Nutrition. So take us through your career journey getting out of college, how it led to men, and what advice would you give for others who want to enter the natural wellness space? Yeah, so I think some people are very kind of deliberate in thinking about where they want to be in their career and they take a more linear path. And I don't think I've taken a necessarily linear path. Well, for me, it's been more sort of meandering, exploring what is my passions and kind of what what really drives me to wake up in the morning. So I did my undergrad with a double major in cognitive psychology and business. And the business that is more sort of finance and strategy. And I fell in love very early with a marketing company that was specifically moving into digital. I can't reflect on it. It was like 96 now. But already in 96, they had made the transformation from a traditional agency and a digital one. And they're really on the forefront of really thinking about change. And I like change and I like big picture problems and sort of how do we identify white spaces. So I spent some time there working and then I decided that it was time for me to do my MBA. So I went back to school, did my master's in, in business, uh, really focused on strategy. Coming out of school, I was recruited by Citibank. So I spent uh, eight, nine years there. And again, and what's really draws me is innovation. So how do we create change and lasting platforms? So I spent uh, a number of roles in kind of thinking about new products, white spaces, et cetera. Then went and led um, a tech company in nanotech and uh, really disrupted payments technology. Imagine an entire computing architecture and putting into something as small as a credit card and making it with an interface and buttons really on the forefront of miniaturizing technology. I led global kind of development products and strategy there, and then recruited over at, C- uh, at Deloitte, where I was in global strategy innovation. It was really enterprise level at Deloitte and thinking about big shift domains. So Deloitte, as you guys know, is in really every C-suite, right? So they're helping leaders and businesses across the world think about big challenging problems. So come big data, here comes the AI and blockchain, really disruptive technology forces. And so how do we, in a company that advises companies, help our clients to position for these changes? How do we position our own corporation to deliver changes? So I was really thinking about that. And then um, through a series of personal events, realized a big app medicine that I'm aiming to address now. But that's why I'm doing it. Then, Isaiah, what would be your advice for those who actually want to start up here? Are you going to say, hey, last three years, natural wellness has exploded, join the party, or is it proceed with caution? Look, I would encourage everyone to really reflect on what their heart's desire is. And that's an internal journey that only you can address. And I think there's things that create meaning and purpose and fulfillment for you. If wellness is something that intrigues you, I don't think there is a bigger domain, quite frankly. And we'll get into some of the challenges we face as a society. We know in healthcare, there are significant gaps and shortages in doctors and nurses. We know on the wellness side, food is medicine. It's got trillions, trillions of dollars potentially going into it from an investment perspective. We know illness is on the rise. And so if you care about the well-being of human beings uh, and you care about well-span and lifespan, I can assure you there will be plenty of both investment opportunity, but also it's just career opportunity in this space. It is something that you can wake up every single day of your life feeling good about because you're making an impact on someone else's wellness. Yep. Well, I agree, Zion. This has been a uh, personal passion topic of mine for quarter of a century or more, I think. Um, so just in terms, of, I started my career as a retail analyst in the late 1990s, looking at the drugstore channel in the US, and have been following that pretty much ever since. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of fascinating shifts that are taking place, even with the food as medicine platform that Shree was referring to earlier. Obviously, a huge part of what Colleen Lindholtz and Kroger are trying to do in terms of how they're trying to really set themselves up as a retailer that understands it's the role that food plays in the healthcare ecosystem. Like I, I was looking at some data the other day, like if you look at the four primary like diet concentrated healthcare issues in the U.S., they cost like three quarters of a trillion dollars <laughs> to fix. It's like one and a half times what Americans spend on college. We spend on fixing the crap that we eat. 
So um, my question to you would be based on that rant. So I'll put my soapbox away and give you one. Um, what, what do you think are some of the really critical challenges in health and healthcare as you watch the world unfold? Yeah, I think there's two major convergent forces that we all need to be mindful of. One is just a very significant rise in illness, or it's metabolic syndrome, or it's diabetes, or it's cardiovascular disease, or it's, and by the way, this is occurring not only in the U.S., it's occurring globally, and it's occurring across demographics. So this is not, I'm not talking about an age, disease of old age. Okay? The diabetes and you know, obesity, and all that kind of stuff is happening across the demographic. So we have curves that are significantly spiking to the right, and despite all of our best intentions and efforts on preaching the mantra of exercise and healthy eating and food, we're, we're not getting the job. So that's one thing is acute care in our, we, we do a really great job of getting you sick. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that, I believe, and I have my hypothesis on why that happens. And then we spend 92% of our healthcare dollars on what Peter Atia in his book calls getting to you at the point of diagnosis. We do nothing before the diagnosis, right? Very little in prevention. You get sick, we pull out the scalpel, we pull out the drug, we do a phenomenal job in acute care of getting you past that each stage. So that's one is acute care is going to continue to feel pressures because it's just the amount of illness and it's already economically unsustainable where we spend more than the industrial nation on treating you when you're sick. The cost curves are going up. That's, that's a broken model and we're going to face economic catastrophe as a result. The other part of it is acute care itself is under pressure. So I talked earlier about doctor shortages, doctor burnout. 30% of nurses have left the profession. In the next decade, 50% of physicians are going to be past the retirement age. We're not producing enough doctors and nurses. They're expressing burnout. They're under margin pressure. Hospitals in the last five years have been losing billions of dollars. And when you think about those two colliding, we're going to have a disaster. And so I think all of us need to be very mindful. We need to reduce the burden on our acute care system by, by really thinking long and hard about prevention. And in acute care, how can we do a better job of supporting our hospitals and doctors so they have better outcomes? And we use that as an opportunity to position patients for good long-term success, again, through a prevention lens. And that's what we really focused on is the convergence of those who uh, which we think are really significant factors. You know, listening to you speak, the part that actually worries me a little bit is it's not even that healthcare is expensive. And Brian just quoted the statistics that he read recently, which these numbers are huge. But it's the situation that you brought up now, which is the more people get sick and it's the need states that pop up in diseases and sickness, there just won't be enough healthcare workers to support it, which is unnecessarily going to cause a population to age and um, actually extinguish faster than it probably should. I think that's a bigger concern that can probably be monitored better with prevention versus trying to solve the problem post as we do in many cases these days. And so um, the obvious question is, uh, that, that would lead to is, give us the framework for everything men does. Like how does men nutrition then take on this challenge off all the way from scratch, um, it lower your healthcare costs, but do it through prevention. Yeah, and I'll start a little bit with kind of the, the origination story because as, as many things go with entrepreneurs that are you know, super passionate about what they're building, it starts with something that was highly personally relevant. So my mom just got diagnosed with cancer for a second time. We have no history of cancer in the family. And so she's had a mastectomy six months ago. She had a joint replacement done. She's 80 years old. And now, you know, a, a single mom in a, in a hospital. My dad, my, my dad passed away. 15 years ago, she was also diagnosed with cancer. And I had an opportunity to observe how beat up she was by the process, whether it was, you know, the drugs she had to ingest or the lack of support that she got once she was outside of the hospital walls. My brother, who owns three physical therapy practices here in New York City, fell from Catterskill Falls, upstate New York, the highest waterfall in New York State, 80 feet. And he had to have eight, nine surgeries to repair his body. And I saw, again, some of the areas where he got great support and the areas where he didn't get great support. And then I had an injury that was very slow to heal. And um, I went back to my podiatrist um, at week eight or nine and said, why is my injury still giving me pain? It should have healed a long time ago. And he said, go home and rest. So as I reflected on those, the one clear gap to me was the food is medicine part. Nobody spoke to my mom. Nobody spoke to my brother or self about the basic fact that it's not earth shattering. When your body's under trauma, it needs more nourishment. It needs the building blocks of tissue repair. It needs more energy. 
it's directing, it's borrowing energy and resources from one area to direct to fix energy and resources uh, to fix the broken tissue. Nobody talks about it. So that was one clear gap. The other was when we were outside of the hospital walls, we were on our own. There was no daily guidance or weekly guidance, monthly guidance on what we should have been doing to ensure we had good outcomes. MEND is addressing both. So first of all, we have an evidence-based platform of nutrition that when taken, even in an acute short period of time, will enhance healing and recovery. And we've got published data on that. Furthermore, with our upgrade platform, you actually have a team of experts that will be touching base with you daily. So mom, mom in our cancer setting would have had a nurse sending her a text message saying, you know, Mrs. Syed, I wanted to check in on this. I wanted to tell you to do this today and recommend the following best practices. Do you have a question for me? She would have had a consult with a dietitian. One of our dietitians would have done a Zoom call with her to ensure that she's on the best and optimal path nutritionally to enhance her healing and recovery. And that care pathway would be very deliberate pre and post with a very specific set of interventions that are best in class that we know through a body of published data work. Uh, a published study by Langone just about a year ago looked at the increase in readmission rates as a result of our push to get people out of the hospital quickly. So we want to do the surgery. We want to get you out because volume is the name of the game, right? We want to do a lot of surgeries because that's what drives revenue for the system. They realized that readmission rates are going up. They concluded the lack of social support is one of the key drivers of that. This is not a you know, huge lift in terms of a fix. So our cloud provides social support. It provides coaching, provides a guidance, ensure patients will care for. And we think the combination of those two will dramatically improve the readmission rates, complication rates, patient satisfaction. Uh, I'll leave to this. And one of our advisors who's uh, in the, talks about the triple aim of what healthcare is focused on. It's outcomes, experience, and profitability, outcomes, experience, and profitability. We touch all of those through our platform. Sorry, sir, go ahead. Uh, one of the things I do want to clarify is, I, is you mentioned a nurse will call back at home to be able to give the proper guidance, right? So that our audience understands, is men scaling with care workers within the MEND ecosystem or is it partnership with existing healthcare workers? It's a partnership with the existing providers and we act as an adjunct to their team. So we fit in seamlessly. We lift and provide all the things they're way too busy to provide. And I can provide lots of stats on within the walls. They literally have no bandwidth to anything other than the, you know, the core sets of activities they're doing. So we lift all of the other things that uh, we know are important that they don't have the bandwidth to lift. And so we do that through our digital platforms. Our, our nurses are sending text messages and videos and interfacing bi-directionally with the patient so that they feel like they have. My mom called me with a bladder infection after her knee replacement surgery. She said, what should I do? Why shouldn't that be a credentialed professional that she can simply ask a question to? Why does she have to wait in queue to get an appointment with a doctor? In our program, a nurse would instantaneously reply video and a response to her question she'd have a professional to deal with. And so that's how we're Looking to alleviate, we've already been told by doctors that we have reduced the number of inbound calls to their office. And that's really, really important to them. So we act as an adjunct. And thank you for clarification. And so, as I, before I hand it over to Brian here for the next one, is it safe for me to then assume as we have this discussion that care providers are actually looking at MEND and saying, hey, MEND is actually providing an invaluable journey in healthcare as a partner to me because they're actually saving me time which means I can actually take on more patients and I can do better healthcare work as well. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, so whenever I presented this three to doctors and the totality of our program, I'm commonly hearing the response that sounds like a no-brainer. Again, the triple aims of outcomes, experience, and profitability, we're hitting all of those without asking them to change anything in their workflows. Literally, they're educating the patient on the availability of our program. It's incumbent on the patient then opt in, and then we lift care on care pathways approved by them. So they're not altering anything they do, their volume and their efficiency, their practice is not impacted, yet we're hitting all those markers. So I'm hearing repeatedly, this sounds like a no-brainer, this sounds too good to be true, and we, we truly do believe this is the future of healthcare. Well, yeah, and, and also when you look at the moves in the healthcare ecosystem, which are moving away from fee-for-service and fee-to-outcomes, so in an outcome-based care environment, the ability to get to better outcomes has a direct profitability impact on the experience of the doctor to take your three outcomes, experience and profitability and unite them. If I'm a doctor today 
and we perform a surgery on somebody, I really get paid often when they get better, not when I do the surgery or there's a a huge payment component to that. So anything, any touch point that exists in the ecosystem that enables people to do their aftercare in particular in a coherent way dramatically improves the, uh, the chances for the doctors to get paid, which is always a, I, I would imagine one of the things they like a lot about your service as people tend to like getting paid. Yeah, sure. um, I learned that on CNBC. Sir, and on that point, you know, one of our, one of our current clients that's live with our program is one of the top 16 uh, total joint practices in the entire nation. And one of the apps that they had in their protocols that, you know, they, they've been reviewed and assessed on is not enough frequent touch points for the patient. The men comes along and says, we can actually do a touch point daily. And they're like, this sounds you know, too good to be, you know, you're not charging me for that. No, we're not charging for that. You can do a touch point daily. And you're absolutely right. The experience and outcomes are very correlated. Yeah. Well, and the, and the catastrophic gap between patient need and primary care in the United States um, is just hilariously bad. Like, like if I go th- through comparing the U.S. to other countries in the world, you know, we talk a little bit about demographics. We'll talk about income, seg- income distribution. One of the things I talk about is just like, there's no primary healthcare system here, right? So, I mean, there is, but it's terrible. And the impact that has on why we spend more than other countries, as you've alluded to, gets pretty immediate pretty fast, just in terms of how much we spend to overcome that. So, I guess the next question I've got, though, about yours is that you've talked about going through the service providers, but is there a possible D2C element to this as well, where men goes directly to the patient and doesn't need to go through the third-party provider? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's no question there is. Um, the, the, the thing that we have to be mindful of is kind of the timing of the introduction of that capability. Like I would personally would pay $200 a month for my mom to have this, this service because she's 80 years old. She's had now surgeries, had a total joint surgery. I love my mom. I want her to have the best possible access to care. I would pay for that. The, the thing that we meant to develop is our care pathways are very, very specific to a patient. It's very personalized. And so there's some design work that we need to do to ingest, I'll call it, any type of patient and have an appropriate care pathway for them. So you might have diabetes. You might have some other underlying condition. You might be eating well. You might not be eating well. So we just have agility in our care pathway design so that when we do go direct to consumer and Mrs. Syed decides to call, We've got something very relevant and personalized to her. We will be introducing that. Uh, we've done already a ton of learning on personalization uh, with the lifting of our program to into our physician partners. And, and very soon, we'll have enough intelligent design and, tel- and agility that we introduced uh, to direct to consumer. When I start thinking a little bit, Isaiah, about all the things you guys are doing in men nutrition, well, I'm going to get to the entire portfolio of what you guys do in a minute. DDC cannot be for every need state. Is there a given need state that DDC could focus on, or does it go across the whole platform? We're heavily focused right now on orthopedics as an indication um, because we already have published data and literature on some of our nutritional interventions and how they impact. However, we're in care pathway design and oncology, and some of our published data on our nutritional products are very relevant to primary care, and we've had a lot of inbound interest from primary care. So, for example, We'll talk about later, I believe, is we have a heart health product that has incredible data. We've got a controlled glucose product, data, inflammation product. And these are the three culprits, right? So when we think about metabolic syndrome, if we can get these three products to consumers, we can get them in a prevention behavioral model with our dietitians and our nurses working with them, we can have a profound impact on primary care. And so that case is going to be coming and coming soon because we're, we're getting a lot of inbound interest from that. Sounds good. So let me remind our audience that today I'm speaking with uh, Isaiah Syed, CEO of Men Nutrition. Isaiah, were you about to say something? I just said the platform is a horizontal and we can lift into any type of vertical, but we're really, really focused on the ones that we think are immediately appropriate to our uh, combination of our behavioral platform as well as our nutritional products. And Isaiah, that is my very next question, right? Take us through the details of the platform. Like you mentioned, $199, there was a number you just quoted. Take us to the bitter details of the platform and every product available as a date to the extent that you can share. Yeah, and the $100 is just an example. I, I don't know what the DDC pricing would be, and we'd have to do an analysis on it. That's not what I'd comfortably pay for mom to have this level of care. We do have a payer-based model in, in the model that we've lifted, whereby the services we're providing to patients fit neatly into existing codes that are out there that allow us to provide this level of service and care. So let me just walk you through an entire patient experience 
and I'll drill down into some of the product patients we get. Uh, Miss Jones goes and sees her doctor preoperatively, is getting scheduled for surgery. The doctor says, Mrs. Jones, I'd really like you to consider uh, enrolling in the men program, provide some literature, perhaps a video that's on iPad. Mrs. Jones decides she's going to enroll. She enrolls. Uh, at that point, she receives a kit in the mail from us. That kit will contain, let's just say she's having total joint surgery, a product called MEND joint replacement. It is a powder. It is taken orally in the periodic period, so that critical pre- and post-op surgical period. It takes one week, two weeks post. If it is two months before surgery, we might have her on another product, which I'll speak to some of the other products. So Mrs. Jones would also get some monitoring technology. She would lodge some monitors. She would be contacted over SMS by her nurse. She would be contacted by her dietitian to schedule a Zoom consult. That would send her down a care pathway where our nurses, coaches, dietitians, et cetera, are navigating her down a specific set of things that we want Mrs. Jones to do to not only have a good, a good acute outcome, but be positioned well for good long-term behaviors. So what are some of our nutritional interventions? We have what we call Nutra Pharma. These are very pharma-like developed natural nutritional products. By pharma-like, I mean we're actually doing randomized placebo-controlled trials. We're doing biopsies. We're doing MRI. We're doing blood work. We're doing all kinds of things to prove out both safe and efficacy. And this is not common in the world of natural supplements. Very few companies have gone to that level and extent of research. So in the joint replacement product that I just referenced, we have published data, which has now been replicated across hospital for special surgery, an award-winning study done in Japan. And what we found with that product is when taken in the perioperative period, you lose less muscle. So you have better overall muscle. The inflammatory environment is better post-op. Your blood albumin is improved. And we've shown improved return to function. So the better muscle and the lower inflammation or the better inflammatory environment is actually resulting in you being able to get back to activities of daily living faster than placebo. So that is something that the patient will receive as a part of our program for free uh, as a part of their care package. Once the patient graduates from the surgeries on the path recovery, we have a product called Daily Inflammation. Many surgeons now are really advocating for getting inflammation post-op down as quickly as possible. So we have good data that shows that that product can reduce inflammation. Now, beyond that, in terms of behavioral model, right, long-term wellness for Mrs. Jones, because we don't want to just leave her after the surgery. We want to ensure that she's positioned for good long-term success. We have a product called Control Glucose, which reduces A1C blood sugar levels. We have a product called Heart Health, which has 20 published randomized trials, shows an improvement in blood sugar levels, triglycerides, lipid profile, oxidative stress, so on and so forth. We might encourage Mrs. Jones to think about that as her long-term behavior uh, for her support. Finally, we've just introduced medically tailored meals. So many of the surgeons are struggling that their patients can't do the surgery right away because their BMI is high. So they're having to wait a year to get a surgery done. And that's painful for the patient. It's bad for the, the surgeon's business model. And so what do they do? They say, tell men to get the patient onto a BMI model where we are using our medically tailored meals and some of our solutions to actually get the patient ready for surgery. So it's pretty comprehensive in terms of the food is medicine approach. And it's not just that node. We're thinking about the patient holistically, sleep, anxiety, stress, education, all the things that activates a patient that we know from all the published data lifts outcomes. And so it's getting the patient involved in their own care. They appreciate it. And at least are really great outs. Yeah. Well, I think that's fascinating too, because like, it's, it's so interesting to see how that food medicine linkage thing works. Like my, my favorite example, this is still Geisinger healthcare in Pennsylvania that got tired of prescribing, um, informant for diabetes because people weren't taking it and the compliance was terrible and they were spending a ton of money on medicine but having no impact. So what they started doing is they just opened a grocery store and started prescribing people lettuce instead. <laughs> so they basically gave um, low-income, high A1C incident consumers basically $1,500 a year to spend on produce. And the improvements they got out of that were dramatically better than the improvements they were getting out of giving that patient population medication. So um, it's an interesting balance to see that the healthcare ecosystems embracing this as well as the retailers. So as you look at that then, and you look at sort of what you would look at next from a clinical trial point of view, what are some of the next things that you're looking at to sort of prove the efficacy of what you're doing apart from the things that you've sort of just walked through already? 
Yeah, thank you. So on the NutriPharma side, Brian, we, we have a very deliberate process and a continuum from a need state identification all the way through kind of the full body of clinical data that we believe has you know, resoundingly established that a product is something that is clinically efficacious. And that includes the multiple RCTs and then at the end, the digital data that demonstrates you know, in a behavioral context, population context, this is work. So we have graduated a number of products to the point where, you know, we've got a lot of good clinical data. We're moving the others along the continuum. And now that we've lifted digital, we're going to get population health level data. And as that data expands, you know, we'll be able to provide really good insights to payers on how our solution is having an impact and driving down costs. We also have multiple randomized trials that are being lifted on the NutriPharma products alone. And so we'll have really interesting insights in our company on NutriPharma alone, NutriPharma plus medically tailored meals, NutriPharma medically tailored meals plus digital behavioral health, and all these stratifications that we will show the market which interventions are working the best, which care pathways are working the best. And so we think we're going to become a very important knowledge repository, data repository for the health, health systems. What a fantastic discussion. I would have never imagined here on the CPG guys, Brian, you and I will be having a healthcare discussion and talking about prevention versus remedial at the end of the day. Well, the funny thing is, this is the second one in a week. <laughs> and in that on the fast forward podcast to cross promote, I had Brian Owens on who's the SVP of commerce and healthcare for VML r Commerce. And we talked a lot about healthcare and retail because that's another passion point of his, but also from the, within the context of inclusivity as well, because one of his big topics is inclusive commerce and how retail can help supplement the disproportionately poor service the healthcare ecosystem gives people of color in the U.S. and low-income and low-income consumers as well. So we have a really good conversation about that as well. So it's the uh, CPG Health Week today. I know Brian just took away my entire marketing plot for the week, knowing that that was on the fast forward. I asked Isaiah to express track and he was nice enough to say, I'll record this on a Sunday so we could get this podcast out on a Wednesday, which is today when y'all are listening to this podcast. So ah. it's actually healthcare week. Take care of yourself as a reminder. because if you don't, There we are. It's, a, it's, it's infrastructure week again. <laughs> there we go. If you don't take care of yourself, nothing else will matter at the end of the day. All that PNL statements, none of them matter if you can't get up the next morning. And so, Isaiah, I want you to tell our audience what is special about men. So obviously, one of the things that I caught my ears, you have clinicals, which you never find in natural wellness products. That's a big deal, but we already know that at this stage. So what is different and why should, let's say a patient, but really a consumer listening to this call, and you know our followership is fairly large over here, why should they care about men nutrition products and want to be part of this journey? Yeah, thank you. So I just literally yesterday had a SMS come in randomly from an NFL player. Um, he texted me and said, this perform stuff is incredible. I've now moved into a subscription. And so what I'll say to your, um, to your listeners is we really differentiated our products. I know there's a sea of kind of natural supplements out there and, and many are good and many you know, are, are questionable. But what we've done is we've done um, the hard work on the science side of things, you know, which takes time, it takes money, it takes patience, it's difficult to do. You're not always guaranteed results. And we've got really good clinical data the second we go an extra step in getting third-part tests, one of the things that this running back flagged for me um, is that I love that products are organic. I love that they're third-party tests. And what that means is a third party like NSF, which is a big lab, will randomly select product from your batches. And they'll put it through rigorous testing to ensure that it has in it what you said on the label, that it's not, it doesn't have any contaminants, and you'll, you'll be alarmed at how many contaminants can actually end up in some of these natural products. Um, and that it's been on, on, on adulterated. So we've, we've got that. So we've got the clinical data. We've got the, uh, the third-party testing. We manufacture only in the U.S. in CGMP FDA-certified facilities. So that's a differentiator. And then finally, we are now being utilized by medicine. So the most discerning client there is out there that are extremely risk-averse. We're being utilized by 30-plus professional sports teams who are obviously very sophisticated clients. And the U.S. military, not only the U.S. military, but the elite forces military, the head dietitian for the U.S. military was using our health product and emailed me randomly and said my sugar level, sorry, my lipid levels, LDL, fell and no other behavioral changes fell from 138 to 102 in the course of taking our heart health. 
product for three months. So you're getting Hold on a second. Uh, I'm sorry. Sure, sure. Hold on a second, man. Did I hear you say military NFL? Like you touching some celebrity spaces over here, man. Like you actually have NFL teams or doctors or care providers enrolled on the platform treating athletes. We have the most elite of the elite of the elite taking products and it's all grown organically word of mouth. We haven't advertised into these communities. I can list probably your favorite professional sports team is there's a very likelihood they're taking men as a part of their standard of care. And well, given how many injuries the Yankees have had this year, I would suggest they all subscribe. Uh, Yankees are in fact using men as are many of the New York professional sports teams are, are using men as a part of their standard of care. Many professional sports teams and the Mets are using men. They are so. as well. <laughs> Just to clarify the difference between the Mets and professional sports teams. <laughs> well, the Mets need to mend many ways, so I don't want to get deeply into that. But <laughs> of course, we got judged back. But but Isaiah, that is uh, that is fascinating. So on the um, nutritional aspect of this, well, I think I think I read somewhere that Russell Wilson spends a million dollars a year on personal trainers just for recovery. Like spends a million dollars a year on cryotherapy and massage and orthopedics just to basically reduce inflammation post workout to recover faster. It's fascinating. Yeah, and that's the space. Isaiah, uh, on the sorry, that's three. No, go ahead, Isaiah. No, I was just gonna say recovery and healing is really the space that we've identified in kind of the acute space. In there's a lot of performance products out there they're advocating for you know energy or muscle building. That's not the space we want to play in. We want to be in medical and healing. We always want to lead with medicine first. And we think that's the reason we've been pulled in by the military and by professional sports is our medical credibility that leading hospitals in the world, we've gone in front of their technical committees and they've approved our science and they read the data. These people are smart. They see the science. And so uh, healing and recovery is a space that we really want to stand out in and continue to invest in research. Sorry, straight back to you. Yeah, I was really going to come back to on the nutritional side, right? Because consumers can subscribe to it directly from what I hear you say over here. You have athletes using it. Can you give a just a quick overview of, you know, is is the product sold as a uh, edible capsule? Is it a powder? Is it a mix? And then typically, when someone does subscribe onto the platform, is it a month long supply? How often should they be using it? Yes. Yeah, so we've got uh, the Nutrifarma nutritional supplement products that are what what's on our website today. We've got the medically tailored meals kind. So on the Nutrifarma side, it's a pill, a powder, we're working on a gel and we're working on a drink. Typically, a product is a month's supply. A patient can, many patients are referred by their physicians to say, I want you to take MEND, and they'll come to our website and purchase it. We do mention Brian earlier, Geisinger, and they're one of the perennial leaders in innovation in healthcare. If you go into Geisinger today and you're having a total joint surgery, spine surgery, trauma surgery, the hospital is paying for you to have two bottles of we get purchase orders from them. They made it a standard of their care because they recognize the importance of optimization and they believe in our science. So patients can purchase from us directly. Series so typically a month supply. We have different formats from pills to powders, and many doctors are actually now starting to put this in their office so the patient can walk out the door with you know a bottle of it. That's fantastic, and uh, I think all of this is just. Uh... So timely and interesting and really well suited to where some of the gaps, I mean, I know it's an international issue, but the U.S. healthcare system has some issues that are really particular to it. The disease states that we're all managing, I think, are consistent across a lot of the high GDP per capita countries in the world. But if you look at things like, I, I think even like type 2 diabetes, I think Mexico is even past the U.S. in terms of per cap numbers as the uh, number one country in the world for that. But for the most part, the solutions you've come up with not only solve for the patient's needs, but solve for sort of the unique problems of the, uh, to your point, the outcomes in the economics as well, of the outcomes of the profitability that's inherent to making the American healthcare system work. So this is just an impressive and really well thought out set of solutions. You didn't mean to tell you that, but it is. Just going to react to that. And we think that's why our solutions are appealing to health systems and providers is because we're solving up for a problem yeah. that they want to solve for better outcomes, right? So whether it's reducing blood sugar levels before a surgery or ensuring better recovery and, and wound healing, you know, we're doing that for them. But then we're also using that as an opportunity for the long-term success of the patient. And that's what we think is really unique of our business. And no one's really kind of developed something quite like this. Well, and it's such a huge gap today, too. And I think it's interesting for the retailers and for food companies as well, because in the end, 
the people that pay for all the insurance in the country aren't people. It's companies and the government pay for most of the healthcare in the U.S. So the ability to prove to a company that this solution is not only yielding better outcomes net net for the benefit of the world, but in a way that would help them reduce their healthcare costs. It's one of those topic for an entirely different podcast about what the breakdown is between the people that pay for healthcare, the way in which healthcare costs are managed, and the patient outcomes, which are just a total mess of misaligned incentives. But that's a podcast for a whole different day. I guess my last question for you um, is what's next, man? Now, you guys are tackling a bunch of stuff here, but uh, what are what are some of the things that you see that are next that you haven't discussed already? What's on your plate? Yeah, Brian, we have um, we have contracts in place with providers. So as a company, we're literally laser focused on ensuring that our deployments with our, our existing clients and contracts go without a hitch. And we demonstrate to our physician partners that their patients are really happy. We, we already saw in the first deployment that we had, uh, which we started in January, that by March, the, the doctors are saying, I'm seeing real clinical outcomes. They were almost surprised. I'm seeing real clinical outcomes because they all go into kind of this nutrition thing with a little bit of skepticism. Yeah, I know it's important, but then when they see it in real time, they see wounds are healing better, the patients are recovering faster. Makes them So we're laser focused on execution. And I'll say that over and over and over again, it's execution, execution, execution. We have a number of client opportunities we're working on and that we're in design for additional care pathways. So what we're doing is we're industrializing what we built. So we built the kernel of something that the market is responding to really well. Now we need to harden that asset industrialize it and make it so that in 20, late 2024 and beyond, we're ready for the DDC, we're ready for other indications, we're ready for a segment of healthcare. So we have, we'll be announcing this week, you know, maybe we'll time it so that it goes out with a podcast, a national, we're awarded a national virtual health contract with Premier GPO and a second largest GPO in the country with 4,400 healthcare, healthcare members. Um, once we industrialize and we publish some more data to show this is having a big impact, uh, we think we'll be well positioned for success. You know, PitchBook just published their deep dive in food is missing. And uh, we were identified as one of the you know, important players uh, in their market map. So market had eight to 10 Ks and was one of the ones that was identified with them in their, by them in their deep dive on kind of the most important players in the space. So industrialize, execute, and then demonstrate that we can lift into a number of different healthcare settings. Those three words are good advice for anybody going on the journey of building a product, industrialize all the way to execute. As I, I do have one tiny question before I, we start wrapping up this episode, and that is a consumer listening to this podcast, if they are more curious about men, do they go talk to their care provider or do they go to the website, dig up the information that they want and subscribe directly? What's the best way to do it? Yeah, what's beautiful about our products is, you know, you don't need a prescription. That's a natural product. You don't require a prescription from your doctor. So you can actually go to mend, M-E-N-D.me, and there you'll see kind of the Nutri-Pharma products. Soon you'll see our, some of our medic-tailored meals. If you were looking for our behavioral health support program that is currently only provided through providers, so your doctor would have to say, yes, please enroll in this. We'd have to program in place with your doctor. But I would encourage that. Like if you see on our website that you think this kind of support is something that um, you believe your mom, your grandmother, whoever would benefit from, tell your doctor, have them reach out to us. We'd love to hear from them and we'd love to lift a program that they can make available to our patients. Thank you for that, Isaiah. Let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content on the website at cpgguys.com and that's seven days a week programming. And if you think you or your company has thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, drop us a line at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, an email to contact at cpgguys.com. And maybe you can join us on the podcast just like Isaiah did. Don't forget to drop us a rating on cpgguys.com on top of the navigation bar at the top of the web browser that you'll go to cpgguys.com. Thank you to our 23 and a half thousand followers on LinkedIn. We know that's a big number. This podcast doesn't exist without you. I'll say that again. Thank you. Isaiah, thank you for making time on such short notice and your willingness to be very transparent and have a discussion on healthcare on the CPG guys. Thank you guys for, uh, you know, we're, we're all trying to improve human health together and these types of conversations are really important. So hopefully this was valuable to your listeners and, and thank you for taking time for our conversation. And Brian, I'll turn it over to you for what we learned in this podcast. Well, we uh, we learned an enormous amount. So, Isaiah, thank you for coming on and sharing the, the story I mend and uh, giving us a perspective on how its solutions help solve some of the problems that are 
know, reasonably endemic to the American healthcare system. Um, I like that we started with food and medicine. And I think that, again, for anybody that's working with the grocers in the United States or anybody that sells grocery in the United States, this is going to become an increasingly important platform for them to figure out what their role is in that. As I said, Kroger has been the one that's been most overt and most forward on this front. Um, and by the way, if you care more about that topic, just look up anything Colleen Lindholtz has ever said at Kroger. Uh, it's a very, very useful thing to do. The idea of, of bringing evidence-based solutions to this, I mean, there's a lot of variations on Dr. Google out there, um, but the real power of the evidence-based solutions to this, I thought there's a really unique aspect to what you all do. Really, um, I thought the conversation about trauma and how Poor nourishment gets in the way of trauma recovery. And I think the way you put it is that a body under trauma needs more nourishment. I think that's a really interesting point. I've never really heard anybody talk about food as medicine in the recovery process as much as in the preventative process. So I think that's a really interesting angle to sort of get after that. Um, I thought your points about the breakdowns in the primary care system are dead on and really important to understand that if a third of all the nurses in America quit because COVID freaked them out, and half of all the primary care doctors in America are retiring and either moving themselves to concierge services where they see like three patients who they charge $10,000 to, um, or just quit being primary care doctors altogether. Um, primary care medicine, for those of you not familiar, is a terrible business model, unfortunately. And it does not encourage good doctors to go into it um, because the other things you can do as a doctor generally are more lucrative than primary care. So you see a lot of the retailers building infrastructure to try to close that gap, whether it's Walgreens with Village MD, CVS with Miniclinic, uh, Amazon with One Medical. All the retailers are trying to figure out how to sort of play a role in closing that gap. I love the the combination of outcome, um, experience, and profitability. I think that's a really good way to think about this. And I think your basic pillar of the three main things that you're bringing to the table, the nutrapharmical products that are you know, sort of point solution oriented to solve individual things, the medically balanced meals to do things like help patients get their BMI down so they can have surgery a year earlier, the cost saving to that in the healthcare system is massive. Um, and then the digital behavioral health products. I think all of these things have real power as you start to look at industrializing, executing, and, uh, and scaling your D2C solution, not just the solution through the providers. But this is a really great conversation, Rhett. Thank you so much for your time. I, I see now where Siri has you do recaps. It was an incredible recap of a, a long I just repeated back what you said. <laughs> Brian, Isaiah, can't thank you both enough for joining me today on this episode of the CPG Guys. What a fabulous discussion on healthcare and preventative versus uh, post. That's a wrap. Folks, we'll see you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys. Take care, everybody. Hope the Yankees mend, Shri. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.